Hello everybody, I'm Dr. Trevin Hatch. Welcome to the Strangers in Jerusalem YouTube channel and podcast where we explore the Gospels and the Jesus traditions within their Jewish context. You can find the podcast version of this material at strangersinjerusalem.podbean.com. You can also check out my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. You find many insights in there, and both in the text and in the footnotes, that you don't get in these videos. As always, please click the subscribe button and the little notification bell so that you know when uh, more videos come out. In this video, we will look at Jesus as a Jewish prophet. We situate Jesus within the early context, early Jewish context and notions of prophets. So follow me, let's go to Jerusalem. Several scattered suggestions throughout the Gospels illustrate Jesus' prophetic status among some segments of the Jewish population. For instance, in the Synoptic Gospels, this is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus calls himself a prophet, stating that prophets are rejected by their own people. It's Mark 6, Matthew 13, and Luke 4. In Luke, a Pharisee acknowledges that Jesus is considered a prophet, Luke 7:39. Herod's court hears rumors about Jesus, specifically that some view him as a prophet, Mark 6.15 and Luke 9.8. When Jesus enters Jerusalem near the end of his ministry, the crowds say, quote, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee, unquote, Matthew 21.11. The temple priests seek to arrest Jesus, but they, they dared not to because, quote, The crowds regard him as a prophet, unquote, Matthew 21.46. The two men traveling to Emmaus lament Jesus' death because, to them, Jesus was, quote, a prophet, mighty in deed and word, unquote, Luke 24, 19. In the Gospel of John, the woman of Samaria, the crowd of 5,000, and the blind men in Jerusalem all perceive Jesus to be a prophet, John chapters 4, 6, and 9. These passages, although written decades after Jesus' death, mention Jesus' prophetic status in passing, in other words, these prophet passages grant that Jesus was considered a prophet during his lifetime. One argument is that the early church was unlikely to have fabricated the notion of Jesus as a prophet if he really was not a prophet. Such a move was risky because some might then have thought of Jesus as only a prophet or just as another prophet instead of the Messiah or a divine figure. So this is what historical Jesus scholars look at to see if he really was if the historical Jesus really was considered a prophet. And in this argument, it's a, it shows that perhaps he really was seen as a prophet because of, because of this argument. What, however, was a prophet to a first century Jew? What did the Jewish populace expect a prophet to do? Where did Jesus, even if only the Jesus of the Gospels, as opposed to the historical Jesus, fit into the first century prophetic context? To answer this question, we must briefly review the nature of prophets in the centuries preceding Jesus. Scholars have thoroughly engaged this topic, the topic of prophets and prophecy, in both the Israelite period and in the New Testament period. Let's uh, give a basic conceptualization of the issue sufficient to situate Jesus within the world of first century Jewish prophets. The difficulty in understanding the nature of prophets in ancient Israel is that the Hebrew word for prophet, navi, carries a wide range of meanings. 
Navi in the Hebrew scriptures means one called of God. A prophet's primary role, as reflected in the etymology of the word, was not simply to predict future events. The Greek word for prophet, prophetia, or that's for prophet and prophecy, that word and, and all its root meanings, denotes broadly one who speaks on behalf of. Thus, one called by God in ancient Israel was a prophet whose primary function, ideally, was to speak on behalf of God. Some rabbis of the 6th century CE identified 55 prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, seven of whom were female. This is in the Babylonian Talmud. These Israelite prophets vary significantly in their functions. Some were associated with divination and consulting dead spirits. This is 1 Samuel 28, the spirits of the dead. Some were known to receive direct revelations from God, Numbers chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, while others were non-revelatory moral guides and repentance preachers. Some prophets were political figures. They were, some were royal court advisors like Isaiah, who counseled the king, and others were countryside itinerant preachers who criticized the king. Some prophets were associated with the priesthood, like Samuel, while others were non-priestly miracle workers, like Elisha. Some prophets were war leaders and helped organize war efforts. So see Deborah, this is Deborah the prophetess. Some were largely religious critics, while others were social and ethical critics. Those who received messages from God did so in different ways. Some through visions, others through dreams, others through divining objects like the Urim and Thummim, and others through audible voices. You can see Numbers chapter 12, 1 Samuel 3, 1 Kings 13, Isaiah 1, Ezekiel 3. The messages of prophets were also varied. Some were predictions of future events. Some were salvation speeches. Perhaps the most common message was a call of repentance. Many prophets delivered oracles of judgment and predicted or declared the downfall of certain figures, regimes, or even whole nations due to disobedience to the Mosaic law. During the earliest days of Israelite society, Prophets, Navi, were, were distinguished from seers, roe, that word roe. Prophets simply served as spokespersons for God, while seers had the ability to predict future events, find lost objects, call up spirits, and interpret dreams. Eventually, these two functions merged together. So here's Samuel 9, 9. Quote, for the one who is called a prophet was formerly called a seer. As we leave the pre-exilic period and enter the second temple period, the New Testament period, we notice a change in the nature of prophets and prophecy. For decades, all the way back to Julius Wellhausen, who's a German scholar and pioneer of modern biblical scholarship in the late 19th century, going all the way back to him, scholars concluded that prophecy in ancient Israel ceased during the Persian period in the 5th century BCE. The common view was that at the end of the Bible's prophetic books, Israel's communication with the divine went dark. This conclusion is based on a half dozen passages in early Jewish texts. For example, Josephus claimed that the exact line of succession of the prophets did not continue after the reign of the Persian ruler Artaxerxes in 486 through 465 BCE. He also claimed, Josephus also claimed that the Yerman Thummim, the divining instrument used by the high priest for receiving revelation for Israel stopped working a few hundred years before Josephus' own time, right, before the first century. Likewise, some second century rabbis, second century C or AD, these rabbis maintain that the Yerman Thummim ceased working following the death of, of the Bible's last prophets. The author of the first book of Maccabees, a late second century BCE text, awaited a future prophet who would restore revelation through the Urim and Thummim. 
says first Maccabees, uh, I think chapter four. Yeah, first, first, first Maccabees four. In recent years, scholars have reevaluated the evidence. Numerous Jewish texts postdating the Hebrew scriptures suggests a continued presence of the belief in prophetic activity and communication with the divine during the second temple period. First Enoch, Daniel, and Revelation are all Jewish texts that illustrate belief in revelatory experiences. The book of Revelation specifically refers to itself as a work of prophecy. See chapter 1, verse 3, and chapter 22, verses 7, 10, 18, and 19. Also, the Corpus of the Dead Sea Scrolls demonstrates a robust prophetic activity among the Qumran community in the first centuries BCE and CE, but the centuries before Jesus and during Jesus. The author of the Wisdom of Ben Sira, this is a second century BCE text, is highly concerned with prophets and prophecy and even considers, the, the, the author considers his own work, his own functions and activities as prophecy, according to his understanding of the concept. Josephus mentioned prophetic activity among the priests, the Sadducees, the Essenes, Pharisees, Samaritans, and Zealots. Belief in prophetic activity did not cease after the death of the last biblical prophets in the 5th century BCE, according to several Jewish texts. It is within this context that we might interpret the passages previous scholars used to argue that belief in prophets and prophecy ceased in the Second Temple period. Such passages likely refer to a prophet like Moses, Deuteronomy 18.15, who would restore the practice of producing scripture and who would resurrect the Urim and Thummim as a living object of divination. For Josephus, and perhaps the later rabbis, post-biblical prophets were of the same kind as ancient prophets in terms of their prophetic ability, but the degree to which they acted prophetically was different. Later prophets did not have the same stamp of authority as did the former biblical prophets. Various social scientists have identified a range of prophet classifications among Jews in the Second Temple period. There's basically two major types of prophets, each containing a few subcategories. So let me just briefly show you this, just so you can get an idea of how scholars are trying to, to separate and break down the different types of prophets during the time of Jesus. The first category of prophets in the New Testament period is literate group seers. At the time of Jesus, literate group seers functioned within upper literate classes. They possessed gifts of interpreting dreams, hearing and discerning the voice of God, and predicting future events. Since literate group seers were close in proximity to the centers of power, their predictions most often related to the king and the court, and less to the populace or society as a whole. This type of prophet can be subdivided in two categories, using scholarly terms. So one category of a literate group, like an upper class seer, is a clerical prophet, and the other one is a sapiential prophet. The difference between these two is not in their ability as seers, but in their social or societal role. Clerical prophets ministered within the priestly circles, and sapiential prophets were intellectual leaders of political factions or elite classes. So prophets in these two subcategories performed similar functions. The, the other type of prophet was a popular prophet, and these prophets served and worked and ministered among the populace, not so much centers of power in Jerusalem, but among the populace. Josephus mentions several popular prophets who ministered in the first century CE. To him, 
they were of particular annoyance. He didn't like these people. He called them deceitful people who claimed to have divine inspiration. They concerned themselves with instigating revolutions and led their groups into the wilderness to show them signs and miracles. Josephus talks a lot about this. Where did Jesus fit into this prophet context, at least according to the Gospels? Richard Horsley, a Harvard-trained Christian scholar of ancient Judaism, approached the question as follows, quote, with regard to Jesus as a prophet, the issue for Jesus's contemporaries was clearly not, does this man fit the model of our expectations, nor is it, is prophecy alive again in this man? Rather, the question is, since this fellow is obviously a prophet, what sort of prophet is he? If we traveled back in time and asked some of his followers in the late first century, including the authors of the Gospels themselves, they would probably tell us that Jesus transcended our classifications of literate group seers or popular prophets. Given what we know about the late first century views of Jesus, he seemed to have acted in ways congruous with all types of prophets. Although Jesus did not serve the priestly and aristocratic classes specifically, he did garner support and receive positive attention from some of them, at least according to the Gospels. If you remember, Nicodemus, a court official and a Pharisee, approaches Jesus for advice. Pharisees also saved Jesus from Herod Antipas in Luke 13. Many Pharisees affiliated themselves with the Jesus movement after his death in Acts 15. According to all four Gospels, Joseph of Arimathea, a Jerusalem court official, follows Jesus. A few passages in the Gospels and Acts state that members of the priestly class are followers of Jesus, both during his life and after his death. Many of them, even of the authorities, believed in him, according to John chapter 12, verse 42. And the number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, says Acts 6, verse 7. Despite his few associations with the upper class, Jesus seemed to fit best within the popular prophet classification. He spends much of his time in the countryside with Galilean peasants. Jesus' movement apparently grows large enough to worry the leaders, both in Galilee and Judea, and he delivers many oracles of judgment against Jerusalem and its priestly establishment. So that's all for this video. Thank you for tuning in. So please subscribe if you find this content useful and if you are interested in hearing more and learning more about the Jewish context of Jesus's ministry. Again, please tell me in the comments something that you learned that was new to you uh, while watching this video. And also you'll find more information in my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew.